we go. Recording is on. Songs dedicated to the mothers and the children of the revolution. Tupac to a finish call. Many, many more. This is for you. One love, one light. Can you see the pride in the panther as she nurtures her young all alone? It's the seed that must go regardless of the fact that it's been planted in stone. Can you see the pride of the panther in the concrete jungle along with her car? It's the seed that must come to harvest. It's the tree that must grow out of love. Can you see the pride in the panther as he glows in splendor and grace? Toppling obstacles placed in the way of the progression of his race. Can you see the pride in the panther as she nurtures her young all alone? The seed must grow regardless of the fact that it's planted in stone. Can't you see the pride in the panther as they unify as one? The flower blooms, brilliance and outshines all the rays of the sun. Gaze bright like the rays of the sun Carries out like the rays of the sun Keeps bright like the rays of the sun Shines bright like a new day begun Can you see the pride in the panther As he glows in splendor and grace Toppling the obstacles placed In the way of the progression of his race Can you see the pride in the panther As she nurtures her young all alone seed must grow regardless of the fact that it's been planted in stone. Can't you see the pride of the panthers as they unify as one? The flower blooms with brilliance and outshines all the rays of the sun. It outshines all the rays of the sun. Carries out like a new day begun. It shines bright like the rays of the sun. It keeps high like a new day begun. Shines bright like the rays of the sun Keeps high like a new day begun Carry out like rays of the sun Keep on like a new day begun Shine bright like the rays of the sun Keep high like a new day begun Shine bright like the rays of the sun Come on Keep high like a new day begun Shine bright like the rays of the sun Keep high like a new day begun Shine bright like the rays of the sun. Uh-huh. Carry out like a new day begins. Shine bright like the rays of the sun. Woo! Keep high like a new day begun. Uh-huh. Shine bright like the rays of the sun. Keep it high like a new day begins. Shine bright like the rays of the sun. Keep high like a new day begins. Uh-huh. Shine bright like the rays of the sun. Yeah. Carry out like the rays of the sun. Uh-huh. Carry out like a new day begun, a new day begun, a new day begun, a new day begun, 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 begun. Power to the people. 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 Love is people power. Love. Love is people power. Love. Love is people power. Love. Love is people power. Love must prevail. Love is the people's power. Every revolutionary act is an act of love. Love is the engine of the revolution. I love y'all. Like Pac loved y'all. Like a Feeny loved Pac. Like we love a Feeny. Like we love love, one love.
Hey, all power to the people. I live for the people. I die for the people. Welcome to the Hassan Shakur eight-week political education program to Pantherism. I am your host, Captain Africa. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Patience. Hi, I'm Comrade Patience, General Secretary for the New African Black Panther Party. And my second co-host, Rob. Hi, I'm Rob. I am the Minister of Labor of the White Panther Party. What? The first slide. The South Chicago Education Week One, the first duty of the revolutionaries to be educated. To be a Panther, we must understand our history, our political line, strategies to overthrow our oppressors. Upon completion of the eight-week political education program, graduates, graduates will become members of the UPM, receive recognition, and encouraged to begin organizing in their local communities. Each week, students will be assigned reading and videos to study and will convene once a week to discuss the material, interpret and break down the core concepts, questions, and answers, and to prepare for next week's study materials. Remember that taking notes can, can really be beneficial, even audio ones, and don't be afraid to ask for help. We are all in this together. I mean, I'm literally taking notes and I'm helping teachers, so that should say something. <laughs> and I'm, th I'm, I'm taking notes too. I got my own notepad right here. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, next slide, my bad. <laughs> Each week you'll be encouraged to bring the following. Quotes from the material, questions you have, your interpretation of the material, core concepts, and revolutionary spirit. I love those. Oh. Pantherism, unitary conduct and the enemy. Chairman Shakas and Kofa Zulu. Settle your quarrels. Come together. Understand the reality of our situation. Understand that fascism is already here. That people are already dying who could be saved. That generations, I'm sorry, that generations more will die or live poor. Butchered half lives if you fail to act. Do what must be done. Discover your humanity and love in revolution. Pass on the torch. Join us. Give up your life for the for the people. George Jackson. Who will save us? Who will save us? Save ourselves. <clears throat> to save our excuse me. <laughs> To save ourselves requires getting together by searching out those elements displaying in actual practice, revolutionary proletarian consciousness, and reaching those elements exhibiting who we have shown in the identification with pantherism, but remain uncommitted, though not due to moral flaws that contradict revolutionary panther morality. Pantherism is the key to unity, Captain Africa. Um, this video that we're about to play is going to um, teach you about institutions and their functions. Yo, please pay attention to this video and take any notes like I said earlier, because we, we will discuss this. Institutions are essential parts of any society. Think about it. Police stations, schools, hospitals, businesses like Walmart and Trader Joe's are all core parts of a community. In a sense, they impose structure on how individuals behave. For example, if all the laws that exist in our community disappeared, would I still have a normal day? <laughs> Probably not. People would be speeding down the street, looting my neighborhood coffee shop, and perhaps a stranger would be sleeping on my living room couch. All the things that I'm used to would be completely disrupted. Maybe a more reasonable example is, let's say all the schools had a new rule of no classes on Fridays then parents would have to figure out childcare for that day. Institutions and their rules definitively guide what we do. You may be thinking that you don't have a kid and maybe you don't need childcare services, but in general, individuals are reliant on the institutions in their community. But is the reverse true? Do institutions need individuals? In general, they need lots of folks to contribute to allow them to function, but they don't typically need any one random individual. So there's a bit of an imbalance between institutions and individuals, if that makes sense. While they need individuals and are created by groups of individuals, 
they will continue even after the individual is gone. The concept of institutions may seem like a daunting idea, but try thinking of them as just a form fulfilling a need. Institutions meet the needs of society by filling expected roles and behaviors. For example, in order for society to continue, it needs people year after year after year. The family institution makes sure that there will be people to carry on the next generation. We know society needs a way to keep people healthy, so you have the medical institution. And society even needs a way to encourage innovation and progress, so you have universities. There are two views of institutions, a conservative view and a progressive view. The conservative view sees institutions as being natural, positive byproducts of human nature. For example, the institution of hospitals forms naturally from the activities of humans and naturally benefits them. The progressive view takes the standpoint that institutions are artificial creations that need to be redesigned if they are to be helpful to humanity. So perhaps you can see businesses as potentially harming society if they aren't reined in. Now, unfortunately, institution is one of those words that has a very different meaning to a sociologist than it does to the average person. We average people might think of just a business or a corporation when we hear the word institution. A sociologist, on the other hand, thinks of social structures when they hear the word institution. They think of governments, families, hospitals, schools, the legal system, religion, as well as businesses. Each of those parts of society continues on without regard to any individual. Governments continue even after the people within them turn over. Families continue from one generation to the next. Laws continue on after the people who wrote them are long dead and buried. Hospitals, schools, businesses, all continue past the time span of any individual and are not dependent on any one individual either. All power to the people. Um, like, there's a reason why I wanted to play this video. Sorry. There's a reason why I wanted to play this video. Um, as a sociologist, I am more on the I am on the progressive side. I, meaning institutions are a social construct that are designed by people, people like you and I, to um, control how society functions. Later on, later on in the study, we are going to talk about the importance of institutions and the importance of us, the people, and how we relate to those institutions. But I need you to keep this in your mind to be able to separate the institution from the individual. All power to the people. All power to the people. All power. <clears throat> by consciously selecting the power. by consciously selecting the most advanced elements from among the black masses for membership in NABPP-PC, the vanguard party of the new African and African revolution, and a friend to all oppressed people, we are building a cadre of leadership capable of marshalling its energies and talents to move the party forward. Moving under tremendous pressure from rightist oppression, repression. National liberation struggle fundamentally conflicts with rightist policy. Any vanguard party seeking to lead the people in progressive slash aggressive struggle must prearrange training for cadre in the basics of protracted struggle in a defensive and offensive class struggle of liberation. That is why we ask all future party members to serve a minimum period of time in the United Panther Movement, which is a mass-based organization that bringing in all kinds of brothers and sisters interested in serving the oppressed peoples and prepares them for revolution. We want to throw the net as wide as possible in order to select from the best of the best. Rethinking old definitions. We have the task of redefining in actual social practice the very words brother and sister. The bourgeoisie definition given to us by our parents must be erased from our consciousness. Bourgeoisie education and long usage define brother and sister as being based on biology alone for the purpose of discouraging unitary social practice by the exploited slaves, sharecroppers, and wage workers against the various ruling class forces. The primary determinant of brother and sister springs out of the sociological and environmental process we call struggle. 
take, for example, a group of people who have ideology, values, culture, history, economic oppression, and colonialism in common. Based on this, based on this commonality, they organized themselves into a National Liberation Party demanding freedom. This party or formation will experience the ebb and flow of struggle, including suffering and joy. And out of the struggle for freedom, we will for, we will will be forced new, higher relations that will be emulated by other oppressed groups, who will also become their brothers and sisters. This is the period where the very terms brother and sister ring from every hall, institution, street corner, and house of the newly awakened nation and mean much more than the biological relationship of siblings. If I don't consider you my brother or sister, who are you to me? If we are of the oppressed class, we ought to be brothers and sisters in spirit and comrades in the struggle for liberation. All power, All power to the people. Panther love, all power. Panther love is the glue here. We have to exercise Panther love. We can't state this fundamental principle more clearly than Shea Vera's when he said, at the risk of seeming ridiculous, let me say that the true revolutionary is guided by a great feeling of love. It is impossible to think of a genuine revolutionary lacking this quality. Ernesto Shea Guevara. All power to the people, man. All power. All, All power. power to the people. All power. Man, that brother committed class, that brother committed class suicide to fight on the front lines. Um, we about I'm about to show a video explaining capitalism well better than I could explain it. I mean, um, um, oh, you still, you still yeah, I got to read this and then you. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry about that. Um, it is this abiding sentiment we must uphold with one another. Love should motivate and love should bind us together. Let love heal us and strengthen us. All power to the people. Hey, um, I'm got I'm going. Richard Wolf is going to explain to us the, how capitalism works and on um, how production works. Like I said, please take notes. Richard Wolf is an American Marxist economist known for his work on economic methodology and class analysis. He is a professor emeritus of economics at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and visiting professor graduate program in international affairs of the new school. Wolf also taught economics at Yale, City University of New York, University of Utah, University of Paris, and the Bright On Forum. Like I said, I know about capitalism, but there's, no be there's nobody better to, um, to teach it to me in the States than um, Richard Wolf. So please take notes and remember what he's saying, because I want us, we're going to discuss this at the end. If you have any questions, please bring them up at the end. Another good, uh, before I click play on the video, another good source of uh, education of this type of material from an American would be Michael Parenti. Uh, next week when we dive into imperialism, I want to play a video of his, but we'll get to that next week. All power to the people. All power to the people. Michael Parenti, right on, right on. Hey, oh, y'all don't like Richard Wolf? What's going on here? Now, nah, Richard Wolf cool. Well, Michael Perini a little harder. <laughs> but go ahead, let us flow. <laughs> In Marx's way of thinking, capitalism is easily representative uh, represented in the following way of understanding what the process of production is. And because Marx is interested in human beings, and Marx is interested in how people relate to one another, because that's what he's concerned with, he's going to analyze what production, uh, what happens in production, in terms of labor, of this activity people give themselves to when they go to work, and how they relate to one another as they go about transforming nature into chairs and software programs and haircuts and everything else. Okay, So we're going to start this way. Every act of production makes use 
of some kinds of tools, equipment, raw material, whatever. For example, let's use a chair as an example. If you're going to make a chair, you need some wood and some glue and maybe some nails and a hammer, and you, you get the idea. And all of those things that are used in production were made by human beings, labor, that's now available for us to use to make more things. Somebody did work a while ago to make the hammer, which I'm going to now use to make the chair. Somebody a while ago put together whatever needed to make the glue that I use and to cut the trees into the lumber that I use. And so we're going to use a simple EL, embodied labor. Every production makes use of embodied labor, labor that's embodied in some product that was done earlier that's now an input to what we're doing now. Basically simple idea. Here comes another simple idea. With this embodied labor, labor embodied in all the tools, equipment, and raw material, production involves the addition of living labor, the worker, you, him, her, the people working. So we're going to call that living labor. Embodied labor plus living labor gives you the total labor in whatever we produce in an economy. It's real simple. Okay? You can say it in other words. There's the value of all the stuff we use up when we produce, tools, equipment, and raw materials. And then there's the value added by the worker who uses those pieces of equipment to transform the raw material into the fine. So this is nails, glue, lumber. This is the chair maker's effort. And the outcome is the chair. Okay? This is very simple. What is capitalism about? By some process, which we can talk about later, the embodied labor, the work done by working people in the past, becomes the private property of a few people. You know their names. They're called employers. They, got their, they didn't make this stuff. Absolutely not. Somebody else did, workers. But those workers didn't get to keep what they produced. They lost what they produced, and it became the property of somebody else. And that capitalist brings to the production process whatever it is he owns. Let's just say, just to make it simple, that it's worth 100. It doesn't matter what it is, just 100 of anything. So we know we're using up in making chairs 100 worth of hammers, nails, glue, lumber, all of that. And now the worker adds value to what he or she produces by transforming the lumber, nails, and glue into a new finished thing called a chair or a sofa or any other piece of output. Okay, and let's just to make it real simple say it's another 100. And so the final chair is worth 200. I told you this would be easy. 100 plus 100 equals 200. Economists think this is an enormous achievement here, but most of you probably don't. The arithmetic is simple. Okay? Now let's follow the logic as Marx did. This is what a capitalist does. He brings 100 of what he's come to acquire somehow. We don't know how. And by the way, we never ask the capitalist quite how he got it, do we? It's really only do you got it or do you not have it? And if you have it, you can be the employer. And if you don't, you can't. The fact that the employer who has it didn't produce it is a nagging problem we prefer not to ask. But we'll come back to it. And you know you can't be an employer because you don't have it. You didn't get it. Somebody else did. So the capitalist brings his hundred. But he uses that up. That's the tools and equipment used up. So that hundred shows up in the chair as half of the 200 that chair is worth. And we know that the chair is worth 200 because in addition to the 100 of stuff used up, there was 100 more value added by the worker who worked to make the chair that's worth 200. 
Now, says Marx, and you're going to say it with me because you're going to understand this. Now Marx says, let's see. For the capitalist, he wants to get back what he laid out, the hundred. He gave a hundred to the production process. So when he sells the chair at 200, he's going to take 100 of it to replace the tools and equipment and raw materials used up in producing the chair. That's how he can keep on being a chair capitalist. That's how he can keep production going. He has to replace the tools, equipment, and raw materials he used up, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I don't have the time to be Socratic because we don't have enough time. Okay, let's see. So out of the 200 worth of chair, you need to take 100 to replace what you used up. That leaves you with 100 after you sell the chair. What are you going to do with the 100? You could, here we go now, because this is the crucial part. You could take the other 100 and you could give it to the worker. Because after all, it was the worker whose labor added the 100 of value to this stuff to make the 200. You could, couldn't you? And the logic would be, gee, the worker added the value, he or she, here we go, folks, should get it, because he gave it. He created it. He made it happen. He should get it. Do you think that happens in capitalism? No, you don't, do you? We don't give the worker the value added, ever in capitalism. It's not how it works. You all know that. But I'm putting it kind of right up front and bold for you to deal with. What is it that capitalists do? They divide that hundred into two parts. One part is what we pay the worker. I'll be generous and say 50. Mm. Now you get it. If you made a chair of 200 and you used 100 to replace the tools, equipment, and raw materials you used up, and you used another 50 to pay the workers, that leaves what? 50. Good. Higher math of economics. 50. And Marx called this the surplus. It's what the capitalist has left over after he pays out to himself the hundred worth of tools, equipment, and raw materials he contributed that got used up, and he pays the workers. He's got to pay the workers, because if he doesn't, they won't show up anymore, and the game is over. So to keep it going, he has to replace the tools and equipment, and he has to pay the workers. But he has to pay the workers, here we go, folks, less than the value added by the workers when they work. Or to use the technical term economists like, he has to rip the workers off. <laughs> he has to steal from them part of what their labor adds. <laughs> that was pretty good. He said economists you know like. <laughs> For those of you who imagined that when you graduate from here, you will get a job. In fact, the only job you will accept is one that pays you what you're worth. Uh, never going to happen. The condition of your employment is that you produce more by your labor than you get paid. Welcome to the capitalist system. That's how it works. This thing, surplus, that's profits. That's where the profits of enterprise come from. The best way to describe your work in a capitalist enterprise is not that the employer gives you a job. It's that you give your employer the surplus. The giver and the getter are in reverse order from what the language suggests. You are doing wonderful things for your employer, and they will keep you in that job exactly as long as you keep producing a surplus adequate to what they need. Okay? That's step one. Volume one of capital lays all that out. And for those of you who have never seen this before, no one has ever done this with you before, this simple took me five minutes. Now you get a taste of that repression that I talked to you about at the beginning. 
That's all what happens in a society people. which is not allowed beautiful. to think all like this. All power to the people. So from some of you, maybe it's the first time. Let's continue. What does the capitalist do with the surplus? A lot of things. A lot of things. And they're very interesting and they shape the economy. In order for the capitalist to survive, he's got to take this 50 that he appropriates from the worker who produced it, and he's got to make sure it's distributed in society to keep himself in office, to keep himself in the job, to keep the capitalist system going. He has to take steps to make sure that this stuff keeps on happening. He can't, as you might imagine, take the 50 of surplus and have a wonderful evening on the town, going to an expensive restaurant and a lovely piece of theater and then a trip to the Bahamas. Uh-uh. He wouldn't be a capitalist very long. He's got to make sure that things are taken care of in this society. Let me give you an example. It's possible that these workers... Uh, let me be more blunt, that people like you in a job might encounter a person like me in a classroom, which would mean the next day when you come to work, your attitude might have changed. You would be beginning to understand that at the end of the day of a job that you've had, when you had that funny feeling and spoke to a person right next to you on the way out of the building, you feel vaguely, I don't know, ripped off. <laughs> yes, good, you got it. There's a reason why you do. You're actually paying attention. Most people in capitalism feel that way. It doesn't show up in the language. We have to disguise it, so we do. Here's an example. At the end of the working day, on your way home, you stop somewhere before you get home. And you stop in a place where you can sit down and have a drink. And the name of this experience in our culture is called Happy Hour. <laughs> to help you understand what the previous hours aren't. All power to the people. Your happy All power time. to the people. Because <laughs> the other eight hours. All power to the term. people. So That's that escapism. Don't they? Don't they? The culture does recognize it. It does. It just needs a little help interpreting. So it gets distributed, this surplus. You know what it does? It's taken by capitalists and it's given to, I don't know, let's see some institutions who get distributions of the surplus. In many capitalist societies, capitalists support local churches. Uh. Mm. And why might they do that? Because in the church, something is taught that says none of what I've just described is going on. Or maybe they fund a university. Maybe they take a part of the surplus and make a beautiful building, sort of, you know, like um, this one. And why might they do that? Because in the university, like in the church, a completely different story is told about all of this. Let me give you an example. Here's a way to understand economics. Production is a wonderful, harmonious collaboration. The worker brings his labor, the landlord brings the land, and the capitalist brings the money and the equipment and the factory. And they all cooperate to produce the output, and then they divide the revenue earned amongst each of them in proportion to the contribution each has made. You might call this fairsies. This is an economics in which everybody is fairly treated. It, it makes you vibrate with the harmony of it all. That's how we teach economics in the United States. I know that because for 50 years I did that. That's what we taught because that's what we learned. And that's no accident because that's a completely different story from this one. In that story, everybody gets in proportion to what they contribute. Fairsies. There's no surplus. There's no ripping off. You got nobody to be angry at. If you don't have more wealth than you would like, it's your own damn fault that you didn't contribute more. So how can you expect to get more? It's wonderfully comforting. 
It's like knowing that there's somebody up there who, despite everything else, really likes you. Even though your best friend doesn't. Okay, it's very important. Here are some other things that have to happen. Suppose these workers, for one way or another, discover they don't like this arrangement. They might decide one day to come into work and say, you know, uh, you're a nice boss and all that, but we're not doing this anymore. You want us to work and add value of 100? We want the 100. Because we do it, we add the value, you give us the 100. And the employer says no, and things get kind of ugly. At that point, the employer has an option. Very interesting option. He can go and pick up the phone, and he can call a place in town. And he says, you know, I'm getting scared. And very quickly, something interesting happens. A truck or a van leaves an office downtown filled with people in dark blue uniforms who come right to your workplace with a big stick and beat up on these people to help them change their mind. It's called the police. And for the capitalist to do what he does and be what he is, he has to have that phone there. And there has to be a bunch of people in blue uniforms. And there has to be a van. And there has to be an office. And that all costs money. Where do you think that comes from? That's another use of the surplus. Hmm. Let me pick some that aren't so confrontational with you. The capitalist also, in order to be a capitalist, he has to make sure that these hundred value added by workers, that the workers know what they're doing. He wants to be able to hire workers who know how to add and know how to read and know how to take orders. They need, in short, to go to school, to learn those things. And the capitalist knows he has to take a part of the surplus to sustain the school system. So he. That was the end of your timestamp. All power to the people. God damn it. There we go. Okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit. Well, first of all, what he was describing was uh, Marx's labor theory of value. And um, I want to give a little overview of like what austerity politics are because it's key in how fascism functions. Austerity politics are basically, to put it simply, it's when the poor are punished for the mistakes of the rich. Um, for example, right now we're seeing the Federal Reserve, uh, you know, trying to lower wages, ramping up interest rates across the board um, to deal with inflation. But when we have inflation, while corporate, corporate boards are making record profits, um, you know, we're seeing a, a more vast concentration of wealth than at any point in history. Um, all that boils down to is exploitation. Um, the reason I wanted to tie in austerity politics and fascism are because in Italy, uh, Georgia Maloney was elected in part of a whole um, like right wing sweep of government that is Italy's most right wing government since World War II. Um, so like the brothers of Italy party is literally, uh, a group that popped up to take the place of the fascist party when it was outlawed after the execution of Benito Mussolini. So, um, thankfully there are left-wing coalitions that are forming all across Italy. They've been marching in mass. Not only that, there's been anti-NATO, anti-European union, and cost of living protests all across Europe. And Europe's just one example. I'm using it because it's easy to get information from Europe, right? But like 100,000 people marching in Paris a couple of weeks ago, tens of thousands of people marching in Rome um, late last week. We're seeing a, I, I guess what I'm trying to, to say is that we're seeing an entire generation across the world of people that are standing up and trying to say enough is enough. We've been exploited all of our lives. We don't know anything different, but we know that a better world is possible. That's 
That's all I got. <laughs> all, all, all power to the people. All power, all power to the people. And I know you want to go on with the next study, but I just want to piggyback on what the brother said and mention that there is a wide sweep of righteous uh, leaders coming to office across Europe and in Asia, and we're seeing pockets of it in Latin America. And that says something about uh, 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 the kind of world we live in. I just wanted to piggyback off that. That's a good, excellent point. Benliti Mussolini is alive and well today in Italy. And that says something. They all power Chairman Takazulu. That's Chairman Takazulu of the new African Black Panther Party. <clears throat> to be free from vampire capitalism requires that in some phase of the social revolution, the vampire must be not must be denied the blood of the people to suck. Here is how we define social revolution. The total breakup of the existing system of wage slavery. The political and economic structure of monopoly capitalism has no redeeming values worthy of preservation. No part of it can be used in the new social order we are striving to build. Uh, before we move on, I noticed that that uh, Tom Watts uh, said that he wanted to speak. Yes, but can we? We're gonna discuss, have a discussion at the end of the. Yeah, lesson. at the end, we're gonna have a discussion. Okay. Um, so Tom, so Tom Watts will be the first one to speak. Okay. We we can't just get rid of every vestige of it overnight. Even after monopoly capitalists are overthrown, aspects of the social organization of capitalism will linger on for quite a while. And we will have to struggle resolutely and consciously to root them out and replace them with new socialist relations. We can't stop halfway. I just want to reiterate that last line. We cannot stop halfway. You got to do the damn thing. All power. You you're right. I was about to say motherfucking right. But you motherfucking right. All power. All power. The law that protects capitalist existence has, has lost its ability to be fair and impartial, and so it must face the trash heap with its maker. We can't hate white supremacist oppression, but love its natural outgrowth, such as capitalism which was born from the stolen resources and labor of the people under developed nations. Capitalist law was instituted, instituted and put in place to repress ethnic and national oppressed groups and to protect capitalist property relations. And since 95% of the property is in the hands of a few families in America, the law basically protects and serves 5% of the people who make up the ruling class. New laws and a new constitution will have to be written and amended as we move forward. Laws that reflect and protect the new socialist relations, serve the growth of the people's power, prevent a return to the old ways of exploitation and injustice. As this is being written, the vampire ruling class is going through an international fight over economic markets and resources that were divided between individual white nations for imperialist exploitation. No longer do various white nations claim individual underdeveloped nations as their exclusive domain to exploit as colonies, but that has not changed the drive and zest of former colonizers to impose privatization schemes micromanaged by the World Bank and International Monetary Fund, and the scramble to control these is sharp. Neocolonialism. Neocolonialism is a continuation or reimposition of imperialist rule by state, usually a former colonial power, over another nominally independent state, usually a former colony. Neocolonialism takes the form of economic imperialism, globalization, cultural imperialism, and conditional aid to influence or control a developing country instead of the previous colonial methods of direct military control or indirect political control. Hegemony. Neoliberalism is a term used to signify the political reappearance of the 19th century ideas associated with free market capitalism. 
a prominent factor in the rise of conservatives and libertarian organizations, political parties, and think tanks, and predominantly are and predominantly advocated by them, it is generally associated with policies of economic liberalization, including privatization, deregulation, globalization, free trade, monetarism, austerity, and reductions in government spending in order to increase the role of the private sector in the economy and society. The defining features of neoliberalism in both thought and practice have been the subject of substantial scholarly debate. The International Monetary Fund, World Bank, and other banking and financial lending institutions have come up with a slick way of reimposing control over underdeveloped nations by neo-colonial rules that consist of economic exploitation, economic aid, public governments, and military assistance. Though the, <clears throat> though the U.S. ruling class has emerged as the victor in this international fight, monopoly capitalists from all over Europe, Japan, and elsewhere are moving their capital, capital overseas to markets with cheap labor and no labor laws so they can make a huge profit on their investments following the law of the maximization of the rate of profit. We must oppose this by international solidarity and struggle sowing the seeds of world socialist revolution. And we must remember that V.I. Lenin said 100 years ago, there can be no equality between the exporters, who for many generations have stood out because of their education, conditions of wealthy life, and habits, and the exploited, the, margin of, the majority of whom, even in the most advanced and most democratic bourgeoisie republics, are downtrodden, backward, ignorant, intimidated, and disunited. So-called leftist movements still haven't caught on to the statement from 100 years ago. That is a telltale sign of class collaborationism that our party will expose to the people. We have to build our party beyond the national boundaries of the United States, wherever Black people are concentrated, and particularly in Africa. In this way, we can help to unify the political consciousness of our people and coordinate our struggle against imperialist, neocolonial exploitation, and racial discrimination and oppression. So long as we are oppressed and discriminated against as Black people, there will be a need for the new African Black Panther Party and for pantherism. Together with our oppressed brothers and sisters of all ethnic and national backgrounds, we must rise as a mighty storm of struggle to sweep away imperialism and all oppression. All power to the people. Dare to struggle, dare to win. Dare to all power to the people. All, all power, power to the people. people. All hey, power to the people. Yeah, look, it's basically simple. No one is coming to save us. No one. No politician, no athlete, no entertainer or celebrity. Not even the intellectual class, i.e. the professional managerial class. That's your teachers, cops, and all else paid well to maintain our reality. Our purpose is to find others like-minded to build dual contending power. Remember those institutions we showed earlier that control how people move? So as Panthers, it is our duty to build these institutions to produce the minds in the society that we want. Um, our struggle to liberate ourselves is a protracted one. It won't be accomplished overnight, but brick by brick, we will develop the institutional memory that guide future generations. We must do away with all terms that divide us by biology. Our struggle must be based on people who share the same ideology, values, culture, history, economic oppression, and colonialism in common. We will be more. We will be more than brothers and sisters. We will be comrades fighting towards our liberation. That is our purpose as Panthers, and we seek. We're gonna throw that wide net out to catch everybody. Like remember that video when we showed the video, the institution video. 
all those individual people make up the institutions without them without all of them the institutions cease to exist if nobody walks into the voting booth the electoral process dies they lose their power we have to build our own institutions to liberate ourselves now it's 1253 your comrade um tom had his hand up so comrade go first yo we're gonna go a little bit longer this time so we could try to get everybody in but the next class we're gonna try to make sure we get it nice and perfect so we could fit make this an hour long but um comrade tom you got anything you wanted to say yeah i wanted to reiterate what what uh george jackson said in the beginning of this that fascism is already here now he was talking that in 1970 50 years ago and fascism is well entrenched and when we see like in italy in the the, the the video there or around the world these extreme right-wing regimes coming to power that means that fascism is getting weaker and is no longer able to maintain this democratic facade <laughs> we have to bear in mind that as George Jackson points out, the Democrats are the original fascist party in America. The Republicans are in many ways a sock puppet that they put out there as a false enemy. The real power is the bourgeoisie behind these political parties. And the bourgeoisie would much rather have democratic rule than open police state rule because they realize how fragile and volatile that is. If you can get people doing what they, they want you to do without having to put a, a cop on every corner, they would much prefer that, right? So the more we see the rise of overt fascist tactics, the more uh, we, re we should realize that the enemy is getting weaker and weaker. And as it gets weaker, we must get stronger. That's where it comes to building the institutions in our oppressed communities. While they get weaker, we have to get stronger until we reach a point where there's uh, a historic juncture where the parallel powers are equal to one another and an all-out showdown is gonna happen. And when that all-out showdown come that comes down, it's like Sun Tzu said, wars and battles are won or lost before they're fought. If we build our bases strong enough, we will win. Mm -hmm. Before the first bullet flies, we will win. All power to the people. All power to the people. All power. Anybody else want to chime in? Ayana. So one of the points that came up was talking about preventing the ways of old returning. Um, and I think that's like, that was a very salient point that came up for me, or at least resonated with me, um, especially because we saw like a lot more socialist practices come into into practice or come in. Um, and at one, at one point in time, but like the ways of old ended up coming right back in right afterwards. Um, and are slowly wiping away the socialist practices that uh, that were about. All power to the people. All hey, power to the people. Power. Good point. Hey, all power, all power, um, Comrade Diana. But yeah, but that's why we talk. Yo, that's why the work that you, that us, that we doing out here in North in our community is so important. We have to build the institutions so people don't forget. I mean, we, we send our children to these schools, man. We send them to this bourgeois, to this capitalist school. And they learn this, and they learn, they unlearn what we've already known already. So like like you said, you're 100% correct. That's why the work we do is so important, Ayana. All power, comrade. All power. Um, All right, patience, go ahead, patience. So to piggyback off of Tom Watt, um, the point about how the enemy is getting weak and how we must be stronger. We also have to pay attention to 
the their enemy and their tactics. They may seem like they're down with the cause or down with Black Panther ideology until you get into a situation where they actually expose themselves, which is why these political education all power to the people, so all power, because you can see the red flags from the door. So, like, just to throw it out there, if we're, we're if we're discussing an issue on how to approach a event or a strategy and somebody say well you know voting and electoral politics and all that if they start bringing up like you already know like this is not the person or the group that aligns with your ideology to try to figure out a way how you're how you're going to approach it um because a lot of times we, we get into these spaces get into these groups and we get caught up and and we're all humans you know, and, and, and then we start to forget our own philosophy or try to reform or tweak it in a way to make it fit into somebody else's. And, and no, we just got to stay strong in pantherism. All power. All power. All power. All power. Anybody else want to chime in? I think I see who that Rakim Singleton. <laughs> no, who is that? Is that is that Singleton? Yeah, you want to chime in, Singleton? All power, my brother. How y'all doing? I'm just I'm I'm, I'm listening. I, I I got the invite. I didn't see it till just now, but I wanted to join me in. Oh, oh power, oh power. Thank you right. for coming. Oh, wow. hey, anybody else want to say something, or you could um you could wrap us up, Zulu? Well, I think we're gonna wrap it up with that video, right, comrade? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All mm -hmm. power. Hey man, so look, we're gonna be back here again next week at twelve o'clock. But we're gonna um we're gonna end it with um Chairman Zulu. <laughs> Chairman Chakazulu speaking at the Rainbow Coalition. I'm calling the Rainbow Coalition at the Rainbow Coalition out of Chicago a few weeks ago. And I was saying we have a comrade Chakazulu from the New African Black Panther Party. Just mobbing up there. <laughs> Everybody just going up. Hey. <laughs> they call one person. We all went up. Hey, uh, so y'all, y'all know the routine. Put a, uh, let me see your uniform. Let me see your uniform. Okay, put your uniform up high. Franz Fanon said in the wretched of the earth, every generation out of relative obscurity must discover its mission, fulfill it or betray it. Sherry Hunkler came up here and talked about we are the ones at the bottom. We call it the wretch of the earth. And what we, our mission is for our generation is to come for them motherfuckers at the top. All power to the people. All power to the people. We say all power to the people. We say all power to the people. All power to the people. We say boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. All power to the people. Chairman Zulu came all the way, and all these uh, Panthers out here from New Jersey, Indiana, uh, Rhode Island, California. We came out here because we stand in solidarity with our Brown Beret comrades out here. We stand in solidarity with the Second Rainbow Coalition. So I want y'all to pay attention to what our chairman had to say because we're going to continue this revolution because we are revolutionary. All power to the people. All power to the people. I want to first, I want to first uh, thank my minister for that wonderful and electrifying uh, opening. Secondly, I want to thank the Brown Beret. This is a wonderful event. It's a revolutionary event. It's an inspiring event. One of the reasons why we saw the need to travel out here was because Cook County Jail is no different from Trenton State Prison. Cook County Jail is no different from no different from San Quentin. Cook County Jail is no different from Folsom. They all incubate oppression. They all are dehumanizing. They all seek to weaken, diffuse, and ultimately destroy the liberation movement. Prisons in the United States were constituted not because they wanted to keep the classes peaceful, not because they wanted the poor, simply not to attack the rich. Prisons were constructed 
in order to use state balance to weaken the revolutionary movement, to weaken revolutionary figures around the world. I don't have to give you a litany of lists of revolutionaries that died in prison. In fact, Fred Hampton, who is the ideological leader of the new African Black Panther Party, spent time in this fascist prison. Cha-Cha Jimenez spent time in this fascist prison. So I don't have to give you that example, but it's important to illustrate other examples around the world so you can see the dialectical and materialist connections. So you don't look at it in the academic sense, thinking, oh, whoa, me, or this is happening to me. No, the system is specifically designed to prop up not just white, white supremacy, but Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, to prop up the police departments, to prop up the educational systems, because it all serves to buttress the interests of the rich and powerful. So us coming together, Black Panthers standing with vice lords, vice lords standing with brown berets, brown berets standing with the poor people army. It's a wonderful example of people power. We don't have to depend on the enemy government. We don't need your grant. We don't even need to go to your court to beg you to free our brothers and sisters in this Cook County jail. We need to put people power in the streets. The oppressor only responds to pressure. The oppressor won't respond to a song. He won't respond to a letter. He'll let you walk up and down the street calling them bad names. But the moment we take militant action in the street, close up the streets, stop traffic, stop those pigs from going to work because we got thousands of people in the street, then they want to talk. Then they want to listen because they sense the power of the people. But if we go begging, if we go petitioning, if we go asking, they'll look at us and say, how can we separate these people? How can we boss them all? How can we weaken this? How can we diffuse the strength of It's important, brothers and sisters, to look at each one of you as a revolutionary, as a freedom fighter, as a son of Fred Hampton, as a daughter of Masada Shakur, as a grandchild of Malcolm X, as a grandchild of Don Pedro Abiso Campos. We look at these revolutionary figures not because they entertained us. Well, I was a little bit entertained in prison when I became conscious and I read some revolutionary autobiographical books. You know, I like when H. Rad Brown say that um, everything, everything black is evil. Everything white is innocent and pure. I love reading stuff like that back then. I love reading about Egypt and how Egypt at one time was a powerhouse. I love reading about how China had a 5,000 year history, but I didn't get stuck there. I didn't become a cultural nationalist. I became a communist. I became a Black Panther. And we built up this revolutionary movement from a prison cell. I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to Yale. I didn't spend time with Cornell West. And I certainly did do an interview with Michael Eric Dyson. I met these comrades in the prison cell. And from a prison cell, we have a national organization capable of leveraging political, economic, and social and cultural power against the oppressor. And guess, and guess what that power is? It's the Rainbow Coalition. It's not the Black Panther Party by itself. All power to the people. All power to the people. All power to the people. I, I remember one time, I'm going to stop here, brothers and sisters, where they said, everybody can't do the same thing, but everybody can do something. Pass out a pamphlet. Look amongst you. Find an articulate speaker. Look amongst you, find an organizer. This is how we develop base areas of social, cultural, and political power. We don't need nobody to come to us and dictate what the terms of the struggle will be. You are a victim of it, especially the indigenous brothers and sisters. You were wiped out, genocide. You don't need the fork-tongued white man to come to you telling you, let's establish a new treaty, right? You don't need, we don't need, we don't need no one coming to us saying, you have been black 
States. Here's the remedy to get you out of here. All we need is Karl Marx. All we need is Fauci Tummy. All we need is Louis P. Newton, Asada Shakur, Chamber Guevara. We need fighters. We need revolutionaries that put their lives on the line, like Fred Hampton said. And repeat after me, brothers and sisters. I am. I am a revolutionary. A revolutionary. I am. I am a revolutionary. A revolutionary. And we will. And the revolution will certainly be victorious. All power to the people. All power to the people. All power. See everybody next week. All power. All power. Wait, when is wait, when is the video recording will be available? <laughs> Call him. You can you hear her? Can you hear me? When will the video recording of this lesson?